Welcome back to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. Welcome, everybody. This is Robbie Martin. So let's get into this. I mean, one of the things that we wanted to really focus in on on this podcast is a documentary that we both just watched that was completely mind-blowing called The Magnitsky Act Behind the Scenes. But before we get into that documentary, Robbie, let's talk first about what is The Magnitsky Act. What do you remember from it? Um, not only from the act itself, but just about that time during the Obama presidency that this happened. So the Magnitsky Act, as far as I remember it, was basically just like I just knew what the symbolism of it was, really. I had heard of it. I didn't really research it when I worked on a very heavy agenda, mainly charted sort of the explosion of anti-Russian rhetoric to different events like Edward Snowden being taken in for asylum in Russia, um, Syria, um, Ukraine. But I never really looked too deeply into the Magnitsky Act itself. But after watching this documentary, it, it just became really clear to me that this bill that was um, pushed through uh, the U.S. Senate was, in a lot of ways, like one of the first major volleys in sort of the Cold War 2.0 landscape. And I just, I guess I just didn't realize that until watching this film. And I had no idea. All I knew about it was that somebody died in prison who was known as like a Russian patriot whistleblower who was like speak like this is how I understood it. So this is just an example of how poorly I understood it. I thought he was like a whistleblower against like Putin or an activist or something like that. That's just what I had imagined or like picked up on from the narrative without looking into it. But it turns out that that's absolutely not really what happened officially. And this documentary just does an insanely good job of completely blowing wide open and contradicting like the narrative that we know of about Magnitsky, Sergei Magnitsky, and why this bill was passed in the first place. And the filmmaker behind it just, I think it's probably one of the most important documentaries I've seen in the last, maybe last three or four years. Because it just yeah, is so, like a crash course in understanding it, mm-hmm. kind of how this all started, really. Like, in a lot symbolically, it seems like this really kicked things off with escalating tensions with Russia. Yeah. And from Wikipedia, it's a bipartisan bill that was passed by the US Congress, signed into law by Barack Obama. Um, in 2012, intending to punish Russian officials responsible for the death of Magnitsky in a Moscow prison. Since that bill, um, there's been sanctions, uh, frozen assets, and basically bans on certain nationals from entering the U.S. So this is a justification for debilitating sanctions employed from the death of Sergei Magnitsky. So I actually don't remember any of this, even though I was working at RT at the time. That <laughs> could, could have been why. Maybe it was just slipped under the radar <laughs> uh-huh. working at RT. Um, but I've heard the name. I heard the Magnitsky Act before. And I just, I just, you know, I didn't, I guess I never really uh, took the time to figure out what the hell it was or who Sergei Magnitsky was. So I was surprised that it was such a huge story. But then again, this was just one of many stories that were catapulting this, this Cold War 2.0 narrative. At the time, um, I guess I was consumed with my show breaking the set and all. And this was like right before all, I guess, just a couple of years or a year before the whole Crimea, Ukraine. Well, 2012, 2012. it's only two years really before. Right. 
So yeah, um, I actually don't remember the, the nuts and bolts of this while I was at RT, but of course I've heard of the Magnitsky Act and I've heard of Sergei Magnitsky. So just never really looked into his story, but I, I guess I had no reason to assume that it wasn't true. You know, that and we hear about how vicious and brutal Russian prisons are. You hear about Pussy Riot all the time protesting how uh, terrible conditions are there. So, you know, hearing about a, a Russian, like, whistleblower who was beaten to death in a prison, um, you know, you don't automatically go with saying that that can't be true. But knowing how much they use this guy's death to push all of this legislation and inevitably sanctions on top of that, um, then you start to ask some questions. Well, who is this guy and really what's the story behind it? And luckily this filmmaker did exactly that. Director of the Magnitsky Act behind the scenes, uh, this documentary film that was made in 2016. Um, I had only heard of it like a week ago. Apparently it's been out for two years already. But the director, Andre Nekrasov, actually made a movie that was, you know, towing the Western sort of anti-Putin narrative about... Uh, Litvinenko. It's called Poison by Polonium, the Litvinenko file. It came out in 2007. The director of that film was was for a while a sort of anti-Putin figure in a, in a lot of ways. Um, he was born in Russia, um, and he actually made a lot of friends and colleagues with people sort of in the anti-Putin scene in sort of like the Washington community. I mean, that's what it appears from the Magnitsky Act behind the scenes documentary. I might be getting that wrong if that's where a lot of these people congregate. It seems like they do. Um, that event that he goes to, that sort of gala for Bill Browder later in the movie, I don't know where that takes place, but it seems like Litvinenko's widow was there and stuff. So it seems like he already knows a lot of those people. I mean, yeah. clearly. But so going into the Magnitsky Act behind the scenes documentary, this is a, this is what he claims. Wait, first, do you want to talk about what the actual official narrative is of Magnitsky sure. dying? Okay. Yeah, so the Just Magnitsky Act the story yeah. officially, mm-hmm. and this is actually interesting because Wikipedia's entry on the Magnitsky Act has a perfect official story Yeah, uh, what a surprise. What in a surprise. the background of the, the <laughs> entry. So this is actually a perfect jumping off point for what's the plot of the film is. So on Wikipedia, it says, in 2009, Russian tax accountant Sergei Magnitsky died in a Moscow prison after investigating a $230 million fraud involving Russian tax officials. Magnitsky was accused of committing the fraud himself and detained. While in prison, Magnitsky developed gallstones, pancreatitis, and was refused medical treatment for months. After almost a year of imprisonment, he was beaten to death while in custody. Bill Browder, a prominent American-born businessman and friend of Magnitsky, publicized the case and lobbied American officials to pass legislation sanctioning Russian officials involved in corruption. Browder brought the case to Senators Benjamin Cardin and John McCain, who proceeded to propose legislation. The only true statement in that background, as far as I know, is that Sergei Magnitsky was an accountant. Because, and actually most of the official accounts of the Magnitsky story, including Bill Browder's own official account, as that Magnitsky was his lawyer, was one of the best lawyers he can find, actually, in Russia. That was the actual quote from Bill Browder. Now, let me just give a little backstory on Bill Browder, just so people don't get lost before we start going more into the weeds of the documentary. Bill Browder was um, an American capitalist, banker, who had a company called Hermitage Capital Management. 
Um, he founded this in 1996. Uh, he took advantage of the Russian financial crisis of 1998 after communism fell during the Yeltsin era. And he basically cashed in like super, you know, just made shitloads of money basically during the Russian fire sale. And so Bill Browder was just like this American capitalist guy. But Bill Browder is the one solely responsible for spreading this narrative about his so-called lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, to the world about what happened to him. And this became, this story became symbolically, and, and it had real-world effects. And he brags about it multiple times in this documentary, Bill Browder does, that his story and his lobbying all these political figures around the world to tell his story about Sergei Magnitsky has had vast consequences around the world that has caused legislation, it's caused sanctions, um, it's, you know, it's changed, it's changed world history. So he understands how important this narrative was. But one of my main takeaways from the documentary um, is, you know, and this is something that the documentary filmmaker sort of alleges, is that Bill Browder might have actually been behind the theft of $230 million dollars. Or that the crime is actually unsolved, and this is some kind of bizarre obfuscation to hide who the real criminals are by re basically rewriting history and making his accountant into this whistleblower hero who died in prison to stand up against like Russian corruption on behalf of him because his company was basically screwed over by the Russian police and they like framed him for a crime. Yeah, so the whole premise is that, you know, there was this $230 million theft and Browder's alleging that it was from Russian police that raided their offices and, and then just stole this cash outright. And, and Browder really, you know, he's on camera in this documentary talking about the fire sale after the collapse of the Soviet Union saying, we all thought that it would be really great for capitalism. And that's why we really wanted to seize these markets and, and become rich. And he's just very honest about that maneuvering to get into these Russian markets right after this devastating collapse of their economy. So that was bizarre. And then he, you know, the whole movie's following him around on this giant book tour that he's going all over the country and, you know, internationally with a book called How I Became Putin's Number One Enemy. So just keep that in mind that this guy is really like the ultimate grifter, mm -hmm. not only writing this book claiming that he's like you know, Putin's number one enemy and he's at risk for assassination, but he's exposing this giant story that is all hinged on the notion that $230 million were stolen from Russians from their corrupt government. And that he, you know, his accountant or his lawyer is what he alleges is at the crux of exposing this crazy story and that he's at risk of being killed for like telling the story because his lawyer already was killed for it is what he alleges. Yeah, exactly. And and the movie basically just kind of also, you know, delicately just defeats the fact that he was even his lawyer. Like Bill Browder actually says, quote, we called, we tried to find the best lawyer in Russia to take this case. He was already his accountant at his company. He wasn't even, a, he's not known as a lawyer. So just that alone is strange that he would lie about that. All these little, you could almost call them maybe white lies, I guess, if you were to compare like the on the spectrum of lying. It just is strange how many of them are directly involved in this narrative. I mean, that one in and of itself is just strange. And to say, and in the movie, it claims that, you know, Bill Browder claims 
that Medinsky went to the police on behalf of his company to report this theft. That's not the case either. That's actually not true. A whistleblower went to report the theft to the police originally, um, who was accusing Hermitage Capital of being behind it. And then in addition to that, uh, they actually sent another person. Hermitage Capital, after that, sent someone else, not Magnitsky, to go to the police to report it after someone else had already reported it before. To deflect that it was might have been actually from their own company. Well, exactly. And on their website, yeah. Hermitage Capital, and this is, maybe we should stop going, maybe we should, instead of going into the weeds now, we should just talk about what the documentary film is a little bit on like maybe an artistic level or what it's trying to do narrative wise, like describe yeah. the film more. Because yeah, the, so, yeah, 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 go yeah. Ahead. The official story is that this guy was this crazy whistleblower who exposed this giant theft of Russian taxpayer money, um, fed it right into corrupt government officials. And then basically this whistleblower from this, this uh, group that we're talking about exposed this and then got beaten to death in prison by Russian guards. So that's the official story. It catapulted into all of these, you know, legislation sanctions, like you just said. So the documentary um, is incredible because the guy goes into the documentary trying to prove the story right or do like a fictional account of this crazy beating and, and this whistleblower's story, right? And as he's doing the documentary, he realizes that the main uh, protagonist could actually be uh, the perpetrator. I'm trying to think of another movie. I mean, it has a narrative quality, like sort of like a double cross kind of a thing because the, yeah, the, like you said, the protagonist almost becomes the antagonist by the end. And his approach, because he was, you know, kind of coming at it like he was already anti-Putin, the filmmaker, he was setting out to make a documentary originally, just retelling the story docudrama style about Sergei Magnitsky. And he actually hires professional Russian actors. People are speaking Russian. He recreates the prison scene. He recreates Magnitsky going into the police. He shows Magnitsky with his family at home. He shows all these things. He filmed them just like he was filming a movie. Yeah, apparently halfway through this process or whatever, he realized that the narrative itself was falling apart for him just trying to do like follow-up research to verify certain things in the story that he was telling because it was... On, a le- on one level, Bill Browder was actually consulting the filmmaker and explaining him and filling him in with details, um, you know, for the, what actually happened. But through the course of the film, the filmmaker also discovers that by trying to do follow-up research and talking to people, like in German parliament, or for example, not parliament, it's called something else, but... This law, actually a law like the Magnitsky Act, was passed in multiple other countries because Bill Browder lobbied these politicians. And one of the things a filmmaker did was try to find some of these politicians in other countries to just ask them these questions about um, Bill Browder and certain Russian documents and things like that. And in the process of doing that, he found out that all these politicians, their source of information was Bill Browder's website, which was just like a PowerPoint presentation that his company made to uh, to basically um, you know trump up this story and spike this Magnitsky story with all these salacious details and like thriller like elements uh, to to lobby governments all around the world to pass this sanction act. And I just wanted to mention this really quickly because I just found this article. It's the only thing I've seen besides this film, which actually pokes holes in Bill Browder's story. Not only was Bill Browder an ally of Putin, who like actually praised. Some of these, like, you know, Putin arresting some of these Russian oligarchs in, like, in the early 2000s. It, apparently, uh, 
Browder's Hermitage Foundation hired uh, the Ashcroft Group, which was a former U.S. Attorney General John Ashcroft company. The people who helped him push the Magnitsky Act through to like help him figure out how to lobby for this. So that's really interesting. The like former Bush officials uh, helped him do this. It's such a brilliant piece of filmmaking um, in so many ways. One, because you're being taken through this guy's own shift in his entire political consciousness. You know, he starts off as this anti-Putin investigator and then he just becomes completely floored with all these contradictory facts that fly in the face of this plot line. Whether it's actually real or not that this is the way it, it unfolded, it was very captivating, the way that he laid it all out, where he's taking you through his own filming of this fictional account and then he realizes that it's all basically fake and and the lies become very apparent and we can go through each one at the end of the day it makes you realize that these narratives can really be concocted virtually out of nothing um and just be repeated uniformly by dutiful corporate media stenographers and politicians who really don't need anything except a strong lobbying force like this browder guy to come in with a shitload of cash and the will, the political will, and even one of these people that this filmmaker's talking to, he's like, why do you think that the Magnitsky Act has been so successful all across the world and all these governments? And she said, it's because of Bill Browder. She said he made it his personal mission to get this story out there. It's not just Bill Browder acting alone. It's obviously because there's some shady as fuck shit going on behind the scenes that he's trying to deflect from. I mean, it's like a stack of fucking cards, these lies in the movie. First of all, uh, the filmmaker basically interviews Magninsky's mom and his own mother contradicts the official report that we hear all the time that he was beaten to death by batons and beaten to death in a Russian prison. And she says, no, it was actually medical neglect. And she didn't say that the Russian government killed her son at all. I mean, why, why would even his family go against what, the, what this guy is saying? I thought that was really interesting. And the filmmaker was clearly shocked and that was where the documentary actually took an interesting turn because like some other documentaries, it almost had like kind of a Louis Theroux yeah. approach to it. It seemed like he could have been holding his cards close to his chest. And this is something that it's not a complaint about the documentary, but I had questions of to how at what process in the documentary filmmaking process he actually realized that the story was falling mm-hmm. apart for him and that he sort of, you know, made it maybe using the you know filmmaking magic sort of so to speak made it appear that you know he had discovered this sort of halfway through the process rather than maybe he had known it all along and had cleverly gotten Bill Browder to appear on camera that I'm not 100% clear on but either way it to me it doesn't matter because he's able to like disarm people while he's talking to them because he is coming at it with foundational knowledge where He's making a movie about Magnitsky. He's trying to tell his story. Because he interviewed his mom and his mom said different things about that contradicted Bill Browder's story. And he actually interviewed his mom in Bill Browder's office, apparently, that Bill Browder sort of facilitated this meeting between the filmmaker and and Magnitsky's mom. At that point, Bill Browder stopped calling him back. Because up until that point in the movie, Bill Browder and him were like fully communicating. He was like peering on camera constantly, kept calling him on the phone. He would meet with them all the time. And then he just went, it went cold, he describes in the movie after that point. So he wondered if just that slight contradiction, getting his mom to say things on camera that were contradictory were bothersome enough to Bill Browder that he like immediately clammed up and realized that, that this documentary filmmaker might find stuff out. 
So he cut off communication. So later in the films, we like Michael Moore style. I'm using terrible analogies here, but he goes he goes to a, like a gala that Bill Browder is throwing to promote his new book about Magnitsky that you were talking about earlier. And he sort of corners him and says, hey, I've been leaving messages, voicemails, like you haven't called me back. I wanted to ask you some questions about these Russian documents that you have posted on your website because it doesn't actually, the documents actually don't accuse the, the police. Magnitsky doesn't accuse the police in them. And, and Bill Browder's just like, oh, that's bullshit. Yeah, like I'll, I'll talk to you. Yeah, 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 call me or whatever. And he sort of gives him the brush off. And he only appears on camera one more time in the documentary. We can go to that a little later, but one of the core things they, they go they go to or the filmmaker hones in on originally when he's debunking, you know, supposedly inadvertently through the process of just trying to vet some of these facts, starts realizing because he can speak and read Russian. The filmmaker um, is talking to people in German in this documentary, speaking English. He's from Russia. So he's able to look at Bill Browder's, not just the tr- English translation of these documents Bill Browder has on his website, but the original Russian ones, and what he found was some of the documents actually weren't even mistranslations. They weren't even like redacted translations. They just literally had like sections that were made up in some of these documents. That's a side issue, though. The main document I'm talking about is the one that Bill Browder kept going back to over and over and over again, which was that Magnitsky went to the police on two different occasions, I think once in October and once in June um, of like 2007. Both of these times that he went, he accused these two Russian police officers who were ahead of this raid that came into Hermitage Capital and stole the deeds to the company and had some corrupt Russian officials re-register the company to defraud the Russian government of $230 million in order to frame Bill Browder and get away with a $230 million theft. And Magnitsky was reporting on this act and accusing these two Russian police officers directly in each police report. Bill Browder has made that claim dozens and dozens of times. He does it in this documentary film. But it turns out that both of the documents don't actually show anything like that. And in fact, there's no names of the police officers in either document. There's no record that Magnitsky ever reported on these police officers, ever. Let me just stress that. There's no record of that ever happening. Bill Browder never had an explanation for it. We can go into that later. But the documents... Also, were not Magnitsky going to the police. He was questioned by the police because they were accusing Hermitage Capital of being behind the theft. So there's not even any record of Magnitsky voluntarily going to the police to report on this theft. But there is actually a record of a whistleblower to the police to report on this theft way before any of Hermitage Capital's own people did. So so it's actually quite bizarre that Hermitage Capital, Bill Browder has lied about this and not and said that never happened, but it's actually on Hermitage Capital's own website from the Wayback Machine, archive.org, from that time period. They actually talk about it. So they are lying now saying they don't have no knowledge about that ever happening. To their knowledge, they sent Magnitsky, their top lawyer they could find, out to the police to report on this theft, and he was arrested by the very same people that he accused in the police report. That's what yeah, the, that's and, what they and say. Some other th- some other things just fall apart under very basic scrutiny. Also, like the guard, you know, these guards that allegedly beat him to death brutally in this prison cell. The main guard that was accused turns out he wasn't in the room at all with Magnus. Oh yeah, and he, he, he also he, sued he clarifies them. that in the late, later follow up well, interview. He's like, oh yeah, he right. wasn't in the room. 
Yeah, but he also sued them for defamation. For libel, yeah. So the so one of the Russian guards that he accuses sues him for libel. He takes him to a UK court, sues him for libel. Bill Browder technically wins. He doesn't he doesn't lose the case, but he lies about and spins the verdict by saying that he was a complete vindication. The judge laughed at the Russian guy, told him it was, you know, it was just a correct, he, he totally re- realized he was on his side and that the Russians were basically like concocting a libel lawsuit to use the antiquated libel laws in the UK. And he went on and on, you know, he sounds just like a neocon. He's a very smart, clever guy. Um, but it turns out that the filmmaker looked into the lawsuit verdict that the judge ruled and said, you you win this time, but don't ever do this out there again because the court could, next time you do it, could actually um, w- rule in his favor and accuse you of libel. Yeah, there's a really funny part in the documentary where the filmmaker approaches Browder and he says, I would be very careful, you know, painting Magninsky as not the original whistleblower of this. He's like, you sound like you're just parroting the FSB. He's like, this just sounds like Russian propaganda. He's like, like saying that there's no troops in Crimea. And the fact that he actually told the filmmaker that talking about the facts that he uncovered that contradicted Browder's narrative was just peddling Russian propaganda, I think is very telling because it's the whole Pomeratsov, you know, sowing discord narrative. Oh my God. Where anything that doesn't go in line with the U.S. foreign policy consensus, you're just promoting um, FSB propaganda. I mean, this guy is trained. He is extremely well trained in how to speak the neocon Cold War 2.0 like language. He knows all the talking points. This is one of the things I came away from the movie thinking, and there is some evidence to actually back this up, is that it seems like Bill Browder is not clever enough, and it also doesn't make sense why... Um, he could just escape this criminal charge of like being defrauding the Russian government. He's criminal. He's wanted as a criminal in Russia. So you have to wonder why is he protected? Like, how is he able to just like travel around the world and, and not have to worry about this? And how did he come up with this? Was it just this Ashcroft management firm that he hired to help him with this? I, I, I came away with the feeling that someone else more powerful, perhaps people from the intelligence community or the, and the State Department, helped shepherd him through this process somehow. Yeah, well, $230 million is a lot of money, Robbie. And when you have uh, offshore tax havens uh, from all of these international fucking capitalists, of course. I mean, who knows where the money went and who helped him construct this? Yeah, but the money went somewhere, and it definitely wasn't the story that we hear. That's for sure. Yeah, it's some weird shit. I mean, so apparently, um, one of the guys who shepherded through shepherded Bill Browder through this process is known as Jonathan Weiner. Um, and on his Twitter page, he only has a thousand followers. Says he was the former special envoy for Libya, former deputy assistant secretary of state for international law enforcement, and former counsel to Senator John Kerry. So. There's definitely some shenanigans here. And it gets even weirder when you look into Bill Browder's past. He was actually the grandson of Felix Browder, who was the head of the Communist Party in the United States from like 1934 to like 1945. There's documentation actually um, and proof that Felix Browder, Bill Browder's grandson, while the head of the Communist Party in the U.S., was actually an informant for the CIA and was getting paid by, or the connection is actually, there are documents from the CIA and, and the State Department uh, basically saying that they're putting money into Browder's organization. 
um, and they're like working through him somehow. So that's the evidence that's out there. You can actually verify that. It's just a very interesting, bizarre thing that he's connected to a psyop, basically, <laughs> like a like from the fucking nineteen forties. I guess the most shocking part to me about the documentary was the sheer audacity of someone like Browder representing this firm to go out there, not only to be involved probably in the actual theft of the $230 million, that's pretty brazen, but then to go out there and construct this insane narrative, write a fucking book about how you are now the number one enemy of Putin because you exposed this money laundering scheme, which you probably were a part of yourself and actually framing the Russian government for doing so. The audacity, the sheer audacity to do that, parade around the world on this, this narrative and then just assume that no one's going to look into it. And what, what's crazy is that no one did, Robbie, other than this one guy. And the fact that we didn't even know about this, and you see him all over CNN, MSNBC, not just on TV, probably write-ups about his book everywhere. Oh my God. Just grifting got, along. Yeah, you can look up his, if you look him up on YouTube, all you'll find is just groveling, completely sycophantic press coverage that was like, uh, it was like hot. I mean, this, you got to remember, this is even before like Sochi, man. This is like really hot off the this presses, like fresh ass Cold War 2.0 fucking, it's like a fireball. And this guy is such a seasoned liar. Um, you know, the second he starts to get questioned at the end of the documentary about how the evidence behind this, it just completely falls apart. But as he's doing this book tour, it is unbelievable the balls that this guy has. Um, he just volunteered this. He was like, you know, people ask me, how does it feel to have one of your closest confidants like be beaten to death in Russian prison? He was like, this is a quote from him. He said it was like watching an ISIS execution video a million times over. That's what he said, that the guttural feeling of having your friend taken from you after he exposes this theft of taxpayers in Russia. It was like watching an ISIS execution video one million times, Robbie. It's pretty That's goddamn it convenient him. for him because this guy is dead. Um, it's kind of Bruce Ivansy. I mean, and then I guess all the people infer whatever they want from it, but it is really convenient for him that he could just paint this accountant of his as this lawyer that he called up and hired to go report this crime to the police and he's dead. And he could just project whatever he wants onto him. And uh, no one bats an eyelash at it. I mean, it's it's very it's fascinating in that way. Just like how the FBI was able to just say whatever they wanted about Bruce Ivins after he died. And then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy at the end when he's being interrogated by, I, I don't know what investigators were working for who when, they, when he was on camera, but they asked him, you know, how did you trace that money trail? And he said, media and journalists connected the dots. Mm -hmm. oh. And so the filmmaker's like, well, wait, what journalists connected the dots? And then he realizes that it's like uh, being fed from Browder. They're just feeding uh -huh. into each other to, to legitimize their, uh, their findings. Uh -huh. And he mentions Daily Beast. And I find that really interesting because they were really early Cold War 2.0, like pushing as well, just as an organization. And that deposition that you're referring to was, it's over five hours long. Apparently you can watch the whole thing online somewhere. And I wish I can remember exactly what the context of that deposition was. He gets caught in so many lies during it. One of the takeaways also from the movie after watching all of it is that it's just so evident that this narrative wasn't really even meant to hold up to serious scrutiny. All they seemingly cared about was like using this story to get this act passed to symbolically escalate tensions between the U.S. and Russia and to like put the U.S. political class like more on an adversarial pivot towards Russia. 
once that serves its purpose, it doesn't even matter that it just falls apart because it so obviously falls apart. I guess one of the reactions that's happened that's really newsworthy about this, and just keep in mind for whoever's listening, this there's a total blackout of this film. This is not like available on Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything. It's nowhere, even though it's put out by the same production company that put out a extremely critically acclaimed documentary, The Act of Killing that everybody raved about that came out like three years ago about mm-hmm, those Indonesian mm-hmm. death squads mm-hmm. um, that were killing communists. This is really noteworthy. August 9th, 2018, uh, Hermitage Capital and Bill Browder sent a legally threatening letter to Vimeo, the company Vimeo that was where you could, the only place you could watch a documentary saying you have to take down this documentary film at once because it's actually using unauthorized footage of Bill Browder and it's defamatory. Even though he was sitting knowingly being interviewed yep. the whole time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It says, given well, Mr. Browder's lack of consent to use this footage, there is no lawful, lawful authorization for its dissemination under the GDPR. Blah, blah, blah. Outrageous. Everyone check it out. Um, find the video. Watch it. Defy Bill Browder, this criminal scum. Robbie, what was your big takeaway from watching this? Because mine was... Even though I've been a media analyst for the last 10 years and I've been even in the middle of some of these constructed narratives about Russia and, and this hysteria that we're surrounded with, I still was stunned oh my God, at the fact that these, these can be constructed, repeated, propagandized to the public um, without even a cursory search to see if any of this shit holds water. And it really gives you an insight on how these things can take off. And uh, just just become viral, you know, and actually result in really debilitating actions that can crush another country's economy, that can actually impact people's lives. And meanwhile, the actual perpetrator can just totally blanket themselves in secrecy. It's just, yeah, it's such a fascinating case study of, and like you said, like we've been picking apart, trying to pick apart these narratives that are similar to this for so long, but to see, come at one like fresh and then to see it just deconstructed in such exquisite detail with in such a, a well-executed fashion, it's, oh my God, you have this like realization in your mind. It's, it really kind of is a light bulb effect where you're like, this is how it's done. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how these things are actually done. You see, the, you see how the sausage is made on just one of them, and you're just like, wow, I wish I could see how the sausage was made on all of them. You really will never know on most of these things. And it really only takes someone like a Bill Browder to just go with a ton of money and political will and people don't even look into it. Like all the people he's interviewing had no idea what he was talking about because no one actually took the time to find out if Bill fucking Browder was a serial pathological psychopath or liar or was actually involved in the scam himself. Jonathan Weiner, his apparent handler or, or like liaison or something, like guy who was coaching him, there's, he's actually had some involvement with the Chris Steele memo. Um, so that there's interesting connections all over this thing. Yeah, it's just so weird how this is generational, too. And his grandpa was being possibly funded by the CIA. And I actually got his name wrong earlier. It's not Felix Browder. Felix Browder is Bill Browder's father. Uh, Earl Browder is his grandfather, was the head of the Communist Party in the USA. Seeing how the sausage is made from one of these things, to me, it's just such an important thing that I think everybody needs to witness. Because I wish I could do this kind of treatment on like the Ukraine situation. But I feel like it's so opaque, you you really can't. It's so complicated compared to something like this. But just zooming in on something like this really helps you understand 
just how information war is being done constantly on us and propaganda. And we, you know, who knows what things we're soaking up and not even realizing. And it just, it's frankly just very disturbing. It's like watching a million ISIS execution videos all at once <laughs> with your eyes glued open. So people should look into who he is and, and just this more deeply and definitely watch the Magnitsky act behind the scenes. And unfortunately Vimeo did remove the video. So for now, it's actually not available in English or s subtitled on streaming online. So I'm going to have to figure out a way to link people to it once hopefully it comes back online because the the accusations Bill Browder is making against documentary in this legal letter, I'm reading it even more right now, and it's just absolutely ludicrous. I mean, he's claiming that they're misrepresenting him as the narrator of the documentary because they cut up little loops and echo his voice like throughout showing B-roll different parts. And it's like, dude, that's like an artistic choice. It's not you being taken out of context and like misrepresented that you're narrating the documentary. You're lying. Like whoever, I hope Vimeo staff watches the video and like reviews this, this threat and puts it back no, up. They're not gonna, it's fucking they're bullshit. They're not going to fucking do that. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to do that at all. Yeah, everyone has to watch it and, and reach out to the filmmaker and support him and definitely troll Bill Browder. And if he's ever coming to your town or you see him anywhere, please fucking shame this guy because he's a total serial liar. I wanted to also just say, uh, you know, we talked before about how there was a Gallup poll a couple months ago basically asking Americans how much they prioritize Russia as an issue that really affects their lives or that they're concerned about. And it pulled so low that it didn't even register as one of the poll results or a percentile, actually, let's say. It didn't even register as like 1% um, in the grand scheme of, you know, everything from the economy to whatever. So that's why it was really interesting to see two new polls come out, a Gallup poll and a, a Pew Research poll. One of them was interviewing Americans, the Gallup poll, and the Pew Research uh, global poll was interviewing Russians. So keep in mind the fact that Americans still aren't concerned about Russia as actually, you know, something that they should be worried about. But 75% of Americans actually believe that Russia did interfere in the election. So that's how much the propaganda campaign has now worked. And that, and, and what was the, the okay, just, I just want to clarify, what was the previous poll you read like a couple episodes ago? What was that? What was the question that was asking? That, that was the question that I was just talking about, which is they said, um, what matters to you the most right now? Like what okay, issues yeah, yeah. So, are you most concerned about? Yeah. So, yeah. And th so this one is actually more important because it's just specifically asking the question about Russia and that's very, very alarming. And, and that's 70% of Republicans and Democrats and independents, right? It's like across the spectrum. Yeah, no, this is across the board. It's just that when you break down like what it means, that's where the partisanship differs. It's like a lot of Republicans are like, whatever, it didn't have an effect. And then Democrats are split more where a lot of them do think it had an effect on the election. Fascinating. Then, yeah. That's really alarming. Yeah, because that's the more general narrative that I feel like that really will stick in history. And that's like what right. the Alliance for Securing Democracy, the new Bill Crystal, Michael Chertoff, Mike Morrell think tank, they, that's what the narrative they're pushing is. I, I inserted a clip into an earlier episode of Media Roots Radio where they're like, we're not saying that... Russia got Donald Trump elected. We're not saying that Russia hacked into the voting machines. We're just saying that like Russia is like meddling into our, like our electoral <laughs> affairs and politics to like so discord and like discontent oh in the United States. It's such God, a fucking dude. vague thing that could mirror the behavior of any political activist. 
sowing discord and creating discontent in the United States. That's what, unco- that, you know, yeah, shit's uncomfortable when you do activism and like face like the bad shit that's going in the United States. So it's just so interesting that that's the narrative that sticks because it basically is like anybody who's like not towing the status quo line. It's of course. Very surreal. Yeah. Yeah, to say sowing discord, I mean, going back to the DNI report, I'm fomenting radical discontent. Jill Stein is sowing discord. I mean, this is what these, it's very vague and the, it's, you know, very general. And it can really mean anything that's just outside of that centrist perspective. Just inserting a uh, little addendum to this podcast we did about the Magnitsky Act behind the scenes documentary film. This podcast was actually recorded two months ago. We got sidetracked with some other podcasts. Just wanted to give an update about the Magnitsky Act behind the scenes documentary. It is actually now available again on Vimeo.com. I'm not sure exactly how that transpired. If Bill Browder's legal threats ended up not working with Vimeo or if they backed down, it is now available to watch legally on Vimeo. So please go check that out. And please also consider donating to Media Roots Radio on Patreon. You can donate as little as $1 per episode, and we will continue releasing four episodes per month. One of them may be a locked patrons-only episode per month. Three of them will be available to everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.